Hey, everybody. My name is Sean Rakijic with Airbnb Automate. You are listening to the Fearless Investor Podcast with my good friend, Kyle Stanley. Keep listening to learn how to conquer the world of investing. I believe true wealth cannot be measured by your income. It is instead measured by your availability of choices, especially the choice to live life on your terms. I also believe there are many ways to create wealth, but one thing is for certain. You have to have a laser focus on one path. My path, Airbnb, but I also believe in education and expanding your mind. Education helps you take off the blinders of life and see opportunities you never saw before. Join me on this journey of learning how to create wealth in Airbnb, real estate, and so many more investment strategies. Together, we can conquer the world of investing. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast. Hey guys, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. You're listening to me, Kyle Stanley, and I am so excited. I'm like a kid in a candy shop today. One of the guys that I've been wanting to get on my podcast for a long time, Sean Rakijic from Airbnb Automated. He has over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, and he's one of the first to start doing rental arbitrage without even calling it rental arbitrage. And what I'm really excited about today is Sean gives so much value all the time on his YouTube channel. He gave a ton of value today on this podcast as well. But what we talked about is where he was before Airbnb, and he hit this, this real big desperation moment in his life, as he'll tell you, uh, that led him to say, what is next for me in my life? And, and Airbnb came in shortly after that. So this is uh, really, really going to be an inspiring story for you today. A lot of value, and I encourage you to go and just start digesting Sean's information on his YouTube channel after this on Airbnb Automated. So let's get to it right now with Sean Rakijic. Hey guys, welcome into the show. Uh, super, super special treat here today with Sean Rakijic with Airbnb Automated and uh, a backstory. Uh, when I was first starting to get into Airbnb, Sean's videos were the ones that were popping up that I was learning from. Yeah, I bought a course and everything too, but I mean, you know, you just get into that rabbit hole of watching stuff on YouTube. And this is the guy, like if you are listening right now, or if you're watching on the YouTube channel, um, I know you guys get a ton of information from the stuff I put out, but you got to follow Sean on Airbnb Automated. So Sean, dude, it's, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being on. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I don't think even two years ago or plus when you started, I even had a course. So it sounds like you bought someone else's. I'm not going to judge you there. <laughs> I, I don't think yours was out there. Mine was like literally from a podcast and it was an impulse buy. I heard about uh, rental arbitrage and I was just like, sure, I'll go buy that. And, and here we are. Uh, yeah. But hey, before we get started, uh, what is the most interesting Airbnb related story that you've got for us? I know with the hundred of uh, properties that you have and all the, the guests you've had, there's got to be something cool here. Oh, there's tons. Um, I mean, I was going to tell you about my unicorn house and then I was going to tell you about a guy, time that somebody stole all my furniture. Those are two other stories. But um, first apartment I've ever had, I got some studios and some one bedrooms in a high rise in Houston. And the first party that ever got thrown at one of my properties was like very beginning 2015. It was this little studio that had maybe 450 square feet. Really? And one, yeah, one night there was a, like, there's concierge that lets people up the elevator. And I don't know why concierge let this happen, but 60 people signed in at the front desk to get led up to my unit. Six zero? Six zero people stuffed into a 450 square foot uh, studio. And when I showed up to clean it the next day, I was like, dear God, oh my goodness. So um, that was like when I had that like, oh, this is going to be fun. This is a fun industry. Um, and that was when I became an adult in a certain level. And sounds like you were cleaning yourself at that time too. 
Absolutely. Well, so, what I um, I did media consulting, so I was in Jackson, Mississippi sometimes, in Houston, some, or actually Fort Worth sometimes, and I lived in Houston at the time. So half the time, yes, and half the time I had a cleaning company. Got it, got it. So uh, probably back then, far from automated, huh? Very much not automated. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get to that in a second. And uh, honestly, man, today, I think a lot of people can, can go and they can see uh, a lot about what you teach. Uh, on your YouTube channel. And there's so much content out there. But today, I really want to hear your story. And um, I don't think that gets put out to the uh, the public very often. In fact, I've watched a lot of your videos. And it wasn't until I was in a clubhouse room with you that I actually heard your story. And I was like, holy cow, like this needs to be told. So take us back before Airbnb. Um, where was Sean at? Uh, how long ago before Airbnb? Like, <laughs> like, I'll I'll let you start because I mean you know you you know this you know your story. I, I don't want to sure. direct you in any certain way. Well, um, the very beginning helps for those like there's a lot of people who blow the poverty line and they tend to like be down on themselves about what they think they can accomplish because they were born into some sort of like system that's not for them. Right. And it's true the system wasn't built for people like me um, or people who are born in like the Midwest on a farm and their families made like less than twenty thousand a year. Um, and so long, I guess, long story short about my childhood is I was born to a family of two Marines. They actually met in Okinawa, Japan. Um, and they were both like not doing financially well for themselves. And we ended up settling into the Midwest. So I was raised kind of as the scrubby, dirty kid in school, not popular at all, kind of short because I was a late bloomer and all the good stuff. And I was a musician. So a nerdy musician kid, played Magic the Gathering, didn't have any real um, prospects for success. I thought I was going to retire making 50000 a year. Like I was like, I had, a, I had a friend in high school whose dad was an accountant and his dad made $70,000 a year. And his dad was like pushing 60 years old. I was like, wow, this guy's the man, right? He's the man. <laughs> I want to make 50. If I could make 50,000 by the time I'm his age, I could, that was good. So like I had just the cutest little dreams when I was a teenager. Um, went to music school, ended up dropping out of music school, got into sales, went to sales management, failed terribly as a sales manager. But that's what was like my entry into business, the business world. Started reading a lot of books because through failure is probably my biggest uh, motivator. And so I was really bad at sales management. I'm like, why do I suck? So I started reading lots of books mm. to become a better manager. And that was like the start of my acceleration into like becoming somebody capable of having some real success. Um, went homeless after that sales management thing. Um, so that's a fun stop along the way. Um, now, and I how, did, how did that happen? What, what happened to, to get you into uh, to not having a place to live? So um, because I was a sales guy making commission, I was spending my money like a salesperson would spend their money, right? So I picked up a decent apartment in Houston. I picked up a two bedroom. My roommate paid very little of the rent because he didn't have much money and I paid most of it. And I was just like, if I have the money, I'll spend it. Um, I had a, a loan for a car. I went out a bunch being stupid in 22. Um, and then when I moved into sales management, um, I was still expecting to make the same amount of money. But since I was failing, I was still making commission, but off of other people's deals. And I started making a lot less money. So then I ended up paycheck to paycheck as a, this leader of this company in Houston as their, as their territory manager. And, um, and so then, so not financially safe, like I was already a little bit behind in my car payment. The company and I ended up on the outs. They demoted me. I took that really hard, like tons and tons of pride, took that really hard. Um, my car got repossessed right before then. And I started to have to, I had to start paying like um, a neighbor for his van. So I was making payments on this green Mazda MPV van. And then when I got demoted at the company, I spent two weeks 
sold a ton of newspaper subscriptions. That's what we were selling, newspaper subscriptions. Um, made almost $10,000 in commissions and then dipped and wanted to start my own company, but I had no clue what starting company I even meant. So um, I spent a couple months reading more books and networking to try to find a way to make some money. I did some things. Um, I got tied up with a company uh, where the owners eventually um, bounced some checks that they owed me. Um, and then I had spent most of the money from those checks, but this guy was an expert at like check fraud. And all oh, three gosh. checks reversed like 10 days, 14 days later in my bank. That was like six grand negative. So um, by being negative six grand in the bank, making payments on this van to an old neighbor, my apartment that I lived in, I eventually became so behind on rent that I got addicted. And I didn't have any money to go get a new place because my bank account was still like 4,500 negative. And so that was that. Um, so that's when I was like homeless living out of this van. Um, the survival part of the story was that um, when, I, when this person bounced these three checks, I essentially took over what we were selling and I was selling uh, teeth whitening systems. Basically, we were buying them from China for five or seven dollars. And I was at Walgreens or grocery stores. I put up this little demo, like you know, where somebody does like a wine demo or tequila demo, like this right. table. Um, I'd call people over to this table and demonstrate this teeth whitening system and get them to buy it. Um, and so, in order for me to like pay off my negative bank balance and live, um, I had a friend make a merchant services account. Anytime, a, anytime I sold a teeth whitening system via credit card, it would go into our cash to go buy new like teeth whitening kits. Okay. Anytime I collected a check, I'd put it in my negative bank account. Anytime I collected cash, I'd pocket that to live off of. And that was how I was handling the money. And it was a four-month grind, but I eventually paid off the negative bank account. Nice. was able to live. And, um, and it was running until China and America had a problem. And like, they, they stopped being able to get my teeth whitening kits through customs. Um, and so that was how that ended. But by the time that ended, I was kind of more in a safe space. Um, and then I moved forward from there. I, I got a, a no lease room. I was paying $500 a month. So I was 24, paying $500 a month on somebody else's lease. like starting to crawl my way out at that point. Okay. Got it. Got it. So, and, and is that when Airbnb came in? Roughly two years later. Okay. Got um, it. So before we go into that, I, I, I've got to ask you, you know, what, what was some things that you learned about yourself during that time? I think we learned the most about ourselves when we are encountering um, adversity and especially, I mean, that's some of the toughest adversity you could go through. So what did you learn about yourself? Um, I am naive and stupid, optimistic. Um, I'll leap without thinking and my taking the job in Houston was me leaping without thinking. Um, I realized how sturdy I am and that my, like that stupid optimistic, I'm still happy, right? I'm still positive. Even in that situation, I was able to stay, I was still able to make logical sense in my mind how I, you know, I was essentially not really like a loser. I had a plan. I was getting out of it, right? I was able to like, I'm really good at controlling my own narrative, which was really helpful. Um, and I learned a lot about my weaknesses. I'm a very proud person. Um, and I realized too, that the whole reason why I was loyal to that company before is because they validated me. And growing up in a kind of an impoverished situation where like you weren't popular in school and had other stuff like that i was like really just sick need like in need of validation and love and mm. stuff so that job became a toxic thing for me um and it forced me to like really like learn where my weaknesses were like psychologically speaking because how i became homeless essentially was just, you know going from like emotional situation to emotional situation um I read, there's a book right here called The Leadership Pipeline. I actually called the author and got to speak with him. I'm going to try to get him on Clubhouse. Um, and I read that book while I was homeless. It was actually one of the turning points for me too, because the book essentially said, hey, it's not your fault you failed as a manager. Um, here's what happens a lot of times when companies promote people who aren't ready. 
And so I was like, oh, it's not my fault. This is great. And uh, so that book was helpful. So you did mention that you didn't feel like you were good at management, um, but Airbnb is all managing other people. Um, in fact, I, I found it really interesting too, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit. You have such a huge business with over 100 properties, but you only have six touch points with people that you're talking to on a daily basis. At least that's what you said on, on Clubhouse. Um, so what did, what did you learn from that book? What did you learn from the failures within the, um, the management, management job um, that led you to be able to now develop something that is literally based on your management? So I learned that the reason why I was a great salesperson and a terrible sales manager was because I was a natural gifted salesperson. So intuitively good at sales that I couldn't teach you how to do it. Mm. I was like, hey, just, hey, just say it like this. And people are like, what do you mean say it like this? I'm like, just like this. You know, like, it'll work. Presto changeo, right? And so that's how bad it was because it's like, just copy me, I guess. Like, and so my salespeople who reported to me, if they worked with me that day, they would do good. But if they didn't work with me, they would do average and then progressively less and less well. So um, it took me all over a year to hire salespeople who just got it. And eventually I assembled a team, but I got demoted because it was too little too late. But that was why I was a bad sales manager. And then I had this theory that if you're not naturally good at something, it might be easier for you to understand how somebody who's not naturally good at this one thing needs to learn, right? And so um, I read a ton of books um, and there's some really influential ones on, on management one was called Multipliers, and that's about how you can make people on your team better. That was a great one. Uh, Primal Teams was great. Um, Saleshood was like about like you know managing salespeople, all sorts of stuff. The Leadership Pipeline. They talk about two main philosophy changes. They talk about six actually, but there's two key ones that really like stuck out to me. The premise of that book is going from like a like an accountant to the CFO, right? Every step along the way. And the hardest thing for people to do is go from being a worker to a manager. Um, and essentially the reason why is because instead of relying on your own effort, you're relying on other people's effort to get something done. Mm -hmm. And hyperproductive people are so good at their own effort that they usually don't ever want to rely on other people's effort for above average performance because they see themselves as above average and they know that they can rely on themselves, right? So learning to like rely on other people's effort and try to like win through someone else, that's really tough for anybody who's like a high performer to do. It's probably easier for a manager who's average or slightly below average at a task. It's better for that, that person to move into management because they can more easily accept that they need other people to win, right? Yeah, that's yeah. good. And then the second one is similar. Um, when you go from managing a function to managing a group. So let's say you're running the whole accounting department at a business, and then you manage group, which is like uh, accounting, human resources, research and development, logistics. Like you could have multiple things in your field. Well, they say if you're, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And the accounting department hammers nails, right? But then um, research and development, like they're screws, right? Um, you know, and then like, you know, logistics is, you know, like levers or something, right? So the problem here is that you try to solve all of the company's problems with just accounting best practices. So this one, similar to the first one is, instead of relying on your own expertise, you have to learn to start depending on other people's expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and, their, and their field of vision, where you have to have faith that people in your network that report to you are smart enough and see things that you cannot see, which is another hard thing to let go of. And so that book talks about those two main transcendental um, points of growth. And um, Yeah, that's, that's so good. I mean, the, um, 
the group that you ended up jumping into with us uh, on our clubhouse was literally talking about this. We were talking about letting go of control. And um, I, I think it's tough when you are, like you said, when you're really good at something um, to now start to rely on other people to do it because you think that you're going to do it the best um, or you just think that they're going to be just as good at, as, at it as you because you're like, well, it comes so easy to me. Shouldn't it come so easy to someone else? I think that's why in sports too, like you see so many baseball managers and, and football coaches that literally the, the highest excelling ones were not great players in their time. They were the ones that had to struggle and work really hard to even get anywhere and get into the majors or get in the NFL. And so I, I think that's super interesting that you actually, you know, have found a way to identify um, why, why that, um, that is. So I guess, um, you know, kind of going along the lines here of the Airbnb story, um, you know, you, you're homeless two years later, you're finding yourself in Airbnb, fill that gap for me. What, what happened in those two years? So post homelessness, I started a company in the newspaper industry that I had left and that started to succeed. Um, I recruited some of my old sales agents that we were loyal to me and we just started rocking out there company started to grow at a pretty neck break pace, which was awesome because I think me being homeless was the springboard of desperation and self like introspection. And like, I was able to diagnose and just say, you know, what? I don't care what lies you told yourself that got you here. You're busted. Right. Mm -hmm. So like that springboard of truth and stuff was really what I needed. And so I was willing to do whatever it takes at that point. It wasn't about whether or not I was right or wrong. It was like, what are you willing to do? Um, and so that was when starting that business turned out to be good. Um, two years later, I find myself in Houston. Um, I've grown the company to be billing more than a million a year in commissions. So we're, we're doing really good. Um, and I start outsourcing, like I start recruit, upping my recruitment method, like um, activity to try to get some real big hitters. So I recruited a guy who's in luxury watch sales um, to be my national sales manager. Um, he later on moved on and got his dream job at Rolex. We're still really good friends today. Um, so he went from luxury sales out of a, like a regular store to me to Rolex. He was like, like it's his, it was Cinderella story, which is cool. Nice. Um, but when I moved him to Houston, I also moved another sales manager to Houston. I gave them relocation packages where I gave them eight weeks of rent for free in a furnished apartment. Well, I signed a year long lease for that to give somebody eight weeks for free. Again, Sean, naive, optimistic, not planning ahead. So I've got two leases with 10 months of rent left and I have no clue what to do with these leases. So it took me three months with my stubborn ass to do something about them. I tried to get an executive to live in there like midterm stay. I tried to do like a corporate housing thing and the one lead I had fell through. Mm. And then I finally put that thing on Airbnb. It was instantly profitable. Um, but because I was so caught up in my million dollar business in the newspaper industry, stubborn again, that I didn't touch like growth I didn't go, I didn't go past like three or four apartments until the Super Bowl in 2017. Um, so to end of 2014, where I begrudgingly put my uh, two apartments that were hemorrhaging money onto a disruptive platform that I knew nothing about. Wow. And in 2014, that's when Airbnb was like just becoming popular. So this whole thing that you were doing, you probably hadn't ever heard the word arbitrage and no one else was doing it, right? Yeah. So when I was doing it, nobody called it arbitrage. I didn't consider it arbitrage. Um, I found that leases didn't say you couldn't do it. And the only thing was like a no subletting clause. But since I was leasing through my LLC, I had already bypassed the no, the no subletting clause. So for the, for the first two years, when I was signing new leases, but not really growing, I did some relocation of furniture and stuff. Um, for the first two years, and then when I snapped into Super Bowl mode, 
I was able to get apartments without negotiating. I just say, hi, I'm a corporate lease doing corporate housing stuff. I'd like to pick up some properties. And when I put it on Airbnb, they're like, oh, no, you can't do this. I'm like, well, actually, let me walk you through your lease. Yes, I can. <laughs> and so that, wow. Like, oh. So I had three dream years that I wasted two of those three years on not growing the business. It was about 2018 when leases got smart and started to put no Airbnb clauses in Texas. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how that went. So that's super interesting because I had a disaster on my second arbitrage that I literally pitched it to the, uh, the leasing agent. They passed it through to the manager. Manager said it was good. Great. I'm moving in. Got my entire team ready to move in the next day. And when I called them, I was like, hey, how am I going to get people in through the gate? Because you don't have a gate code. You only have a remote. And they were like, well, they're your employees. I'm like, no, they're not my employees. It's on Airbnb. Like I told you guys, like, oh, we can't do Airbnb. So I wish I could go back now and say, wait, actually your lease says you can. So what, what was it uh, like if someone's in that situation today where they're being told, hey, I signed a corporate lease, but they're saying I can't put it on Airbnb. What are some things they can look for in that lease to, to turn it around? Yes. So what's changed? You you want to read your leases before you sign them because they always change. Um, even a TAA lease from 2017 to 18 had so much different language in it. Like even though it was named the same thing and looked the same on the first two pages, watch out. Okay. Um, back then there was a no subletting clause, section 12. You cannot sublet, right? Sublease, subletting or subleasing is formerly having someone else sign a lease under you and becomes a tenant, mm. right? With a corporation, if you're an LLC. You are the leaseholder, but you still need a human to occupy that apartment, right? The business does not occupy. So declaring a tenant, even if you find them through Airbnb, they become the primary tenant. And thus it's not subleasing because the business gets to choose which human gets to stay there. Now, if that human then subleased, that'd be subleased. So that was the bypass. But now they've added the TAA, lease in Texas, section 30.12 and 3 states, uh, you cannot advertise your property on a lodging website. Okay, got it. Okay, you so that, not, that's, that's good to know. You cannot collect money. You cannot collect money from someone to stay there. That's another one. So even if you didn't put on Airbnb, you can't collect any money or any any sort of trade in exchange for somebody to live there. And you can't conduct business out of your apartment. So what you do is you find your lease and see if there's stuff like that in there. Um, Pennsylvania, the lease language is slightly different, but those are the things. There's subletting. There's advertising, there's collecting money, and there's operating the business. Right? Okay. Awesome. You then follow up with the building, and I do this by email. Um, and I've got a very specific way that I teach my students to do this. Um, in what order to negotiate and how to get them fully committed to get them to say yes more frequently. But if you even negotiate this on email and say, hey, I see that the lease says I can't do X, Y, and Z. I just want to let you know I intend to do X, Y, and Z. And if you did your negotiation well, you've got a good justification to do those X, Ys, and Zs. And you just say in that email, um, if uh, you know if there if you have an issue with, uh, of course, as we discussed, that I do have the intention of you know doing these things, um, please let me know. Um, I'm fine with signing the lease as is, um, just to, you know as long as we're on the same page. And my attorney taught me this move. I'm paying a very expensive attorney in Philadelphia for some other reason. And if you send someone an email um, and they do not respond to disagree with your email, that is admission. That is mm. agreement. That is silent agreement. So you're creating a written waiver via email. And I just gave away thousands of dollars in those two companies, by the way. <laughs> well, we'll put the caveat on make sure to talk to your real estate attorney or your attorney to, to double check. <laughs> yeah, so that? this is what my attorney told me that yeah. I can do. I'm not an, I'm not an attorney. Yeah. 
There we um, go. Yeah. There we go. Okay, cool. Um, so I want to, I want to put a pin in that. I want to come back to that because there is something very specific I want to ask about that, but I want to, um, finish this story. You, you get, you get into arbitrage essentially out of necessity, uh, because you've got this lease, but then you start seeing the money come in. When did you decide to go all in on arbitrage? The after the Super Bowl in Houston, 2017. Okay. My goal was to get up to 10 apartments by February 2017. We hit that. I netted $15,000 on the weekend on 10 apartments. I netted 15 grand. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that would get me excited too. Um, and are you still today at 100 properties? Is it more? Yeah, well, it fluctuates. We were at 103. COVID knocked us down to like 70s, 80s, and we've been adding 10, 15 here or there. Um, we're ballpark 100 again, like just fluctuating up and down because we moved out of some stuff and then moved back in. But now we just moved all of our furniture back into places. Um, I am so automated that I can't tell you anymore. Haley does most of this. Haley actually, Haley's picked up the last 21 leases that we picked up in Dallas, which we picked up, of course, since summer since this last summer happened nice. so last year um so yeah uh, haley would know the exact count um but yeah it's ballpark okay so guys if you're listening right now sean really like turned it on in 2017 so we're not even talking about we're going on four years here over 100 properties uh you know my story i'm at 37 right now in under two years like you guys can do this this is something that is very very doable um you just have to put in the effort and you have to just like what sean said You've got to, you got to find that reason why, and you got to really get to that down at the core. So um, at what point did you decide, Sean, that you were going to start this YouTube channel and start teaching people how to do this? I think my first ish video, one of my first couple of videos, it was like July of 2017. So okay. right after the Super Bowl, probably three or four months, five months after my best friend, Sean Ray, still my best friend. He lives down the hallway here at this building. We decided with COVID to move in the same high rise. Nice. Um, he was talking to somebody about cash flow or equity, you know, into the argument of cash flow versus equity with buying property. And I'm like, man, guys, I'm not buying property and I'm keeping up with all of you. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna tell the world, like on my opinion. So I was like, hey, YouTube, you know, what the argument is, is do you go for cash flow or do you go for equity when picking up a property? Um, and I'm like, you go for neither because you don't buy the damn property. Let me show you how my numbers work because I don't buy anything. That went viral. I'm like, this is weird. I, I just woke up with like a thousand subscribers like later on. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'm gonna continue this. Um, of course, obviously with timing, there's very few people talking about Airbnb or rental arbitrage in 2017. And it just became kind of a perfect fit. And my brain loves to get curious and dive deep and learn stuff. And I love to, to spit out and share what I learned. And a lot of times it's unsolicited. So YouTube allows me to give unsolicited advice. And if somebody wants to watch it, they can choose to watch it as opposed to me at like some party going, hey, let me tell you all about something. Um, I am able to get this out in a healthy way. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, I've got a question here. This might be a dumb question. Did, did the term rental arbitrage come from you? No, no. Okay. I actually fought, I actually fought the phrase for a while. I'm like, that sounds stupid. What a stupid name. <laughs> Were you calling it anything? Um, no. Okay. Uh, but I was also not, um, I was a newspaper sales guy and right. I'm not a, I'm not a business major. Uh, every business that I build has been built off of me understanding a, a lever of the whole operation and just scaling it to the max and hiring other people who fill the gaps. You know, um, I wasn't qualified, mm -hmm. you know, and a rental arbitrage really does make sense, even though it's not technically an arbitrage, it's still a cool name. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so 
now at 120 plus thousand subscribers on YouTube, did you ever expect it to get that big? No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. There's, there's never a goal, actually. So I just never drew. I mean, remember the whole, I want to make 50,000 a year before I retire thing? If yeah. I told you like, oh yeah, maybe make 50,000 subscribers one day, that's probably what my, my goal would have been if I had them. Yeah. Shoot, I was just happy the day I got to a thousand subscribers and saw that I can turn on monetization, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can pay for some cool transition things. You know, you can buy those stuff for Adobe. There you yeah. go. There you go. Um, well, so Sean, let, I want to, without like getting away from the whole purpose of the show today, um, we always want to provide value to our audience. Um, I think the biggest thing that I want to hear from you is in, in a day like today where arbitrage is so popular and landlords and leasing agents are keeping up with things and creating, like you said, they're creating new terms in these leases um, and everyone's wanting to do it. Now that's, it's no longer someone's going to a landlord or a leasing agent and they're saying, Hmm, that sounds really interesting. Never heard about that. They're the fifth, sixth, seventh person doing it. Plus throw COVID on top of that. There's a lot of things that could make it difficult for people to jump in right now. So what do you have to do today here in 2021 to win in Airbnb? For rental arbitrage. Yeah. Yeah, le exactly. Let's say for rental arbitrage. Um, okay. So it was easier because there's less awareness and there's less horror stories before. So now landlords have opinions, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's some cool stuff that you can do now with COVID too. There's new opportunities. So first you need an LLC, maybe even two of them. And you should start grooming LLCs to have age so you can apply and get approved releases so you can be you want to go legit right but then you want to look for opportunity that that like that fits right so for example um i have a i have a mentor i have a mentee sorry i'm mentoring now um whenever i have the free time and this person lives in a uh, a big house and the bottom floor isn't rented hasn't been rented for a couple months and i'm like well just go to your landlord and say you'll rent the other half of the house and you're gonna you know furnish it and run a short-term rental out of it and then of course you're gonna pitch them on these benefits Benefits being, we're going to keep renewing the lease nearly forever. So this will be the last time you go two months without rent. Um, two, we're going to constantly keep it in a state of repair because we, we're selling it to tenants, all these extra benefits, right? And that actually turned into the landlord going, well, let me tell you, my last tenant didn't even pay rent for the last six months. We had to evict them. They trashed the place. It was terrible. And this landlord was like, I like this idea. I have three other empty houses right now. This me, I'm just, I, I'm a sucky landlord is kind of what this guy was basically saying. So you find landlords who have a problem, who are bad at what they do, who have a hard time picking the right tenants, and you can protect them from themselves by taking over their properties as a short-term rental. There's a good symbiotic fit. Now, this is a great example for you to develop the philosophy that you need to be successful in this industry, which is you need to know your value. Rental arbitrage has a place in the system. And if anybody tells you that it's parasitic or you're taking advantage of somebody else because they're the ones paying the mortgage and then you're easy streeting on their lease and making money on their property, like there's some sort of like, like entitlement that's owed, that's such a lot. And just don't listen to people who talk like that. That's, that's a scarcity mindset. It's a scarcity mindset. And it's like this old school, anything that's new must be unethical right. mindset, right? But arbitrage, like to become a, a tenant that guarantees the landlord can cover their rent becomes highly valuable to some people. Um, in the larger space, there's a version of this and they're called lease-ups, right? So there's a new building that's under construction. They are at 0% occupancy with 250 doors to fill. 
it is going to be impossible for them to fill all 250 doors inside of nine or 12 months. It's just right. not going to happen. And there are guys who take over buildings who specialize in lease up, the property managers that are great at sales, and they get gigantic fat bonuses for getting this building full on time. Yep. And if you go to that manager and say, I will take two floors of your building, please, and thank you, right away when you're at 0% occupancy, that year plus that you have that building will absolutely not at all compete with the lease up. And they're just going to get to 85, 90% that much faster because you took two whole floors off their hands. This is the perfect time to do arbitrage. So you need to actively think, how does this business model fit into the economy? How does it fit into mm -hmm. a business or like a landlord's business plan or their growth plan? How can I develop long relationships with landlords where every time they pick up a new property that they're going to call me and ask, hey, would you like my house? The one I'm buying next. Yeah. Um, you want a prospect to build those relationships. And so understanding that there's a value in this marketplace is probably the key to getting started. Um, then, of course, there's prospecting techniques, you know, and there's, there's I, I, without going into my script entirely, the philosophy of the script I teach my students is called sales by analogy. We start with corporate housing because most people understand corporate housing. And then we try to explain Airbnb rental arbitrage from a let's start at corporate housing and wander into arbitrage and explain mm. the differences and try to keep you on board. I just, I'm trying to keep the guy in the boat while walking him through the changes to the corporate housing model. And that tends to be really high success. Yeah, I think too, um, that approach will allow you to kind of put the foot in the door so that you can actually have the conversation. Because I think the biggest mistake people make is, hey, can I sublease your house on Airbnb? Uh, you want to get kicked out of a house right away, go ahead and say that. But if you can talk with the, hey, can I do a corporate rental, educating them if they don't know what it is, and then being able to say, oh, by the way, Here's one of the methods that we use to do corporate rentals. That feels a lot less uh, intimidating. Um, would you would you say that that's a good way of uh, summarizing it from a landlord's perspective? Yeah, and the the intimidating is probably the the red flags for risk, right? Yeah, right. So what's cool about this is you're able to create a first impression where you are a business owner, you are decisive, you're an executive, you're not loyal to any one brand that's external mm -hmm. to yours. So by the time you bring up Airbnb or VRBO or something like that, you're bringing it up in the context that you are thinking of all of the avenues that you can fill a furnished rental up and stay occupied and profitable. But Airbnb is not the company that you're loyal to or dependent on. It is not your Huron. It is not the raw to your life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, um, you know, like they can be like, okay, this person will use Airbnb, but they'll use it decisively and not do something stupid because they're also trying to get business clients. They're trying to get everything else. And so making Airbnb a much smaller topic in the whole pie um, mm -hmm. makes it a little easier for them to digest it. Okay, cool. So going back to that advice, I guess the way to summarize it here, if I'm just starting today is um, kind of three things, understanding my market and understanding what's going up around the area. Um, the timing sounded very, very crucial as well. If I'm going to go to an apartment complex that needs to fill up those spaces. And then uh, third was the, uh, the relationships, just being able to build those relationships so that there's this funnel of leads that are going to be coming your way uh, again and again. Is that right? Yeah, the long play is the relationships, right? Yeah. You can get, you're going to get your first couple of leases without having a relationship built, but you're, you're getting those leases to build relationships. That's long. Game. So yeah, in order, start an LLC to go legit, right? Yeah, I do. Then start with single family homes instead of apartments because you get more practice pitching and start the single family home pitches to, with the intent of building a relationship with landlords um, where they'll give you more houses. Um, and as you do this, you need to get your mind right. This is a business. 
and you need to understand that this is a valuable business to someone. And if you're going to approach anybody to prospect for apartments, you're ha you have to have your mind right. You have to have self-confidence. You have to believe that the product that you are offering is good for people um, because you're selling them, right? You're selling them on your business model. And if you think that there's any truth to the fact that you're taking advantage by not buying a property, it will show in your conversations with landlords. So, I mean, the, the, the whole, the, the umbrella, the biodome over rental arbitrage is you have to be able to say, I am a good person running a good business that benefits very key people in this industry. And I'm providing, I'm providing a, a valuable relationship that I can even ask for free rent in return. Because my, my product is so valuable to some landlords that they'll give me two months of rent for free on, on the front end. And because I believe the power of my business model is so good for landlords that I ask with, without batting an eyelash for six to 10 weeks of rent for free on every deal I do because of the psychology of it. Um, and so that's the evolution of that. That's so good. It's, it's not a transactional um, relationship. You know, we're not selling a car and then leaving. We're not selling these people a product. We're selling them ourselves. We have to get in and show them that. I think that's the important thing too. You're not just selling yourself. You're following through on that sale of yourself by being that best tenant. You know, I, that's, that's what I always am telling landlords is I'm going to be your best tenant. And if I'm mm -hmm. going to be your best tenant, I better follow through on the things that I promise. Um, one follow-up question to that. I get this a lot. I want to hear uh, what you say. Um, hey, I started an LLC. Everyone's asking me for business credit. What, what are you doing there? So um, the reason why they're worried about business credit is because they're applying in apartment complexes. And apartment complexes, results may vary. Mm -hmm. If you're applying to apartment complexes, it's a numbers game. The very first apartment I picked up on a lease was two days after my LLC was formed. So they are out there. You just won't get them all. So go for smaller, more boutique ownership entities that do multifamily if you do that but single family homeowners are much more influenceable than yep. these formal things so yeah you can get on uline you can get on seat and granger and do these start to get net 30s and do all the stuff that, like everybody else would teach you to do it just but don't get discouraged because a couple of people told you no because you don't have credit yet um go to a go to a single family homeowner um, I mean, you probably want to like, you, this is what I tell my students and they have a direct relationship with me. So this is what I tell them to tell us a landlord considering that they have me on the team. They're like, so, um, so tell me about your company. How long have you been in business? I tell my students to say we're a startup and we've actually retained an advisor in our industry with six years of experience. And we've got tens of thousands of data points for, um, you know, customers that, that have stayed in homes similar to this in this neighborhood. And so for the reason of X, Y, Z, like if they were talking about being concerned about negative types of guests, the having the data from my reservations right. and needing that advisor says, well, yeah, so we're a startup. We've retained an advisor with over six years of experience in the industry. And we have tens of thousands of data points on, on consumers that use this type of product. So we have the data to be preventative and know which guests, which travelers, which tenants to give this property to and which ones to avoid. So we can actually avoid any concerns that you have regarding the bad types of guests because the data that we have on file. That's good. Otherwise, if they just want to know how long you've been in business, you say, yeah, we're a startup, smiley face. And hopefully you have a mentor like me and say, yeah, but we, and, and we've retained an advisor within the organization who has six years of experience in the industry. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Um, so Sean, what's next for your business? I mean, you've automated this thing. Uh, when COVID hit, you decided to hit the gym hard and now you're buff. So like, what's, what's next for you in your life? In my life or in the, okay. So for the business. It's business and um, life. So what's next for the business is I'm mentoring and coaching Haley to become the best CEO possible, right? 
Um, I'm trying to get the business to hit a certain metric and then I'm going to gift her equity in the business. Um, we haven't even had that conversation yet, but I'm just going to give her a piece of the business for what she's done. Um, so yeah, I don't know how many doors that's going to be. Um, then um, on the side, I, I'm being prospected by um, an investor. They want to put like 25 million into an arbitrage deal. So if I decide to go and do business with them, my goal would be to build a new one and flip it for north of a billion dollars at the end, of, you know, on our exit. That'd be wow. sick. That's something I'm excited to try to do. That's the challenge. Um, but in life, um, I want to uh, pick up, you know, new hobbies. I bought something called a sear wheel. Um, look up what a sear wheel is. Um, that's going to be coming soon. I'm gonna, that's going to be one of my new physical hobbies. That's why I'm also working out a lot, is so I can be prepared to do it. Okay. Um, do a little bit of travel. Um, I'm, I want to get back into media again, but instead of work, working with newspapers, I'll be doing a lot more digital stuff. Um, I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, testing peer space as mixes for the Airbnb world using peer space and things like that. Um, and maybe I'll even start like doing very like peer space first properties um, where we use Airbnb to film when peer space isn't working out, you know, like and take a reverse approach to the sharing economy. So just a lot of testing, a lot of new stuff. Um, awesome. And uh, yeah, and to be more social because uh, of COVID. So I'm going to start hosting events in Dallas with frequency is something else coming in the future too. Perfect. Hey, let me know when those events are. I'll be there, man. Every um, Thursday is what I think it's going to be. So you're invited. Any, any Thursday, take your pick. Perfect. Okay. Uh, well, where can people find you outside of uh, YouTube? Obviously, you've got the course. Um, where would you like people to go connect with you? Um, well, I will tell people you do not need to buy a course. And I pray that you got more value from my free videos than you got from the course you bought. Um, because that was always my intention was to put all these course salespeople down. So yeah, I do have a course, but I didn't use one. Right. So I recommend people to study hard, network hard and try to build it on your own. Uh, if you feel like you're the course kind of person, then you'll find me anyway, even if I tell you not to buy me. Um, Instagram and TikTok are probably my favorite places to be lately, um, aside from YouTube. Um, so my Instagram handle is Airbnb automated, but then it links to my personal, which is risk and reward. Um, I'm on Clubhouse a bunch. Um, but I'm going to start like trying to like do what you do and bring people in and talk to them specifically with more intention. So my, my tick, my, my clubhouse stuff will be more intermittent and I am Dallas based. So people who are in Dallas and want to, um, I do mentorship lunches once in a while and I'll invite a small group to lunch and just take them to lunch and talk to them about their stuff. So, um, that's another way to get a hold of me if you're local or willing to drive. Perfect. Perfect. Hey, Sean, any last words before we log off here? If you're watching this, um, podcast, it's for probably a few reasons, right? And you're either researching Airbnb or researching rental arbitrage or you're just seeing what else we're up to because you follow our content. But if you're in that like on the fringes of taking the leap into an industry like this, um, I will tell you that you will never be ready until you do it. So if you're the type of person who's watched eight videos right now or listened to eight podcasts and you have landed on this one, this is my gentle reminder to kick yourself out of the nest um, and start to learn from personal experience because mm -hmm. both both of us we've um we've been doing this for years and i can tell you 80 percent of what we know came from experience i don't care if you're watching my my youtube videos from two years ago the moment you're in there the moment you have guests the moment you have furniture you start learning with context in real time and you start to develop your own identity in your business and your business grows with you and so if you never take the step into the field and start to actually apply yourself, you will just become more and more afraid of doing it, right? Uh, because there's something that's stopping you right now. And that emotion or that the, the, 
the fear hormones, fear chemicals that keep you from taking action right now, they don't get weaker over time. You just see that they've, that they've had influence over you over time. And that monster gets bigger and bigger and bigger the longer that it holds you back because you're like, wow, I haven't taken action in two weeks. I haven't taken action in three months. Man, it's been a year and a half that I've wanted to do this and I haven't been able to do this. I'm never gonna be able to do this because my fear has controlled me for a year and a half. So fear is like a snake, it just gets longer. So what you need to do is cut the snake. Um, just jump in without knowing what you're doing and forgive yourself for not knowing enough if that's who you are. And because, and if anything, because you do have this like discerning, like I wanna make sure I know what I'm talking about, that is actually going to be your advantage once you're in, right? The same thing that keeps you out of a market is going to be an advantage once you're in the market because people like me, I jump into something not caring at all what I should know. And then I end up knee deep in crap trying to figure myself out, um, not knowing what I should know. And I still figure it out, but like people like Haley, the girl who runs my company now, she's the kind of person who won't start because she needs more information. Mm -hmm. But that same brain, when you're in the mix, like sees things like just sees, sees things in a different way that I see things. And she's more complete, she's more thorough, and she, she just makes better decisions when she's in the mix. So those of you who are judging and discerning people, you should actually be more excited because you're probably gonna do better than someone like me, but you just have to get started. The only reason why I'm leading you is because I got started. So start, it's now o'clock. Hey, that, that's exactly why the show is called The Fearless Investor. Let fear be in the rear view mirror and go for it, man. Um, Sean, thank you so much for being on the show and helping our audience to conquer the world of Airbnb. We appreciate you, man. man. Show notes for this one. Uh, so you don't have to spell Sean's last name. We're going to go Airbnb automated, fearlesskyle.com forward slash Airbnb automated. And I love what he shared there at the end, because, you know, we're talking all the time about, you know, not letting fear get in the way and just going for it. And I think there is, um, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what we talk about all the time, which is what he said about having those minds of, hey, I need to figure out more before I get in. And we always kind of think about that, at least to me, I've always kind of thought about that in like a negative way, like that's going to hold them back. That's going to, you know, not let them be able to take any action. But when it comes to maybe surrounding yourself with those people, that's really good because I find myself being that person that's ready, uh, fire, aim. And because of that, uh, you know, mistakes are made or um, deals are done that maybe that should have been, should not have been done. And to have someone um, like Sean was mentioning, Haley on his team, who is a ready, aim, fire kind of person, that could be a really good opportunity for someone to step back and say, hey, Kyle, hey, Sean, you know, this is a great idea, but let's look at it from a different standpoint. So um, the thing I take away from that is surround yourself with good people that bring different skill sets, different mindsets to the table so that uh, they can see things differently than you. I hope, I just hope that you got a ton of great value today from Sean, that you're inspired and you'll go out and conquer the world of Airbnb. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Fearless Investor Podcast.